The Commentary Booth is a show for media lovers by media lovers just like you. If you want to support the show, go to jamieappsmedia.com. Welcome to the Commentary Booth, the ultimate weekly entertainment recap and review show. My name is Jamie Apps, and each week I'll be joined by a rotating cast of co-hosts to run you through the entertainment media we've consumed during the week. Along the way, we'll provide you with insightful commentary and reviews. This week, I'm joined by an architect who lists his favourite movie as The Lion King, yes, the 1994 version, not the remake, and favourite TV show as Penny Dreadful. Welcome to the show, one-third of the Beer Latte Show, Nick Delpreet. Hey, how's it going? Good, thank you. How is the world in America? You know, not too bad. Uh, nothing crazy. We're uh, This weekend, uh, we're starting to open up movie theaters in select locations. So, luckily, no- nothing in New Jersey yet where I'm from, but hopefully, hopefully soon as movie as like amc is slowly to roll out openings yeah it'll be exciting to get back into the theaters we've had them open for a couple of weeks now since mid-july they've sort of started opening here which has been nice yeah i mean new jersey has some of the most theaters uh compared to other states but our governor is being very uh cautious and making sure they're all state closed where if I were to live in, let's say, Nebraska or something, some uh, state with a smaller population, their theaters are all open. Have they been doing what ours are doing and sort of, you can, like, if you buy two seats, it makes sure all the seats around those, directly around those are empty? Are they doing that over there? They're saying uh, they are doing 30% capacity. So I believe that's what would happen if you would buy a seat, other seats around you would be completely empty. I have heard though that people have been buying like a fur a full row and like but then filling that full row with like family and friends and all that and some people have been leaving theaters due to that. Okay. Yeah, so what we're doing is like you can buy as many tickets as you want, like for your family, but say if I went and I took someone with me, if I buy two seats, the seats directly either side of us and the two seats in front and the two seats behind are automatically blocked out so nobody can buy those seats. Yeah, that sounds smart. Yeah, it give, gives you a nice little buffer around yourself. Yeah, I know also they're like they're offering masks if you forget to come in with your mask because obviously a movie theater is a timed event. You can't just run home and get it. So they are offering masks for like a dollar and they're talking about being staggered uh, releasing, like after leaving the movie theater. So not everyone's jammed at the door when they go leave, doing almost like row by row to try to keep people socially distant away from one another. Yeah, that's smart. I wonder if we'll start to see um, different movies come out with, like, you know how they do the, the themed drink cups and popcorn tubs. I wonder if they'll do the themed masks for their screenings. That would be kind of cool, like like a Star Wars mask, walking around wearing that. Yep. Uh, so you're from the Beer and Latte Show. What is that one all about? So the Beer and Latte Show, we're, uh, we're a podcast. It's run by myself, my brother, and his wife. And what we do is we talk with each other, and also we usually have a guest on, and we talk about supernatural events, whether that being ghosts, aliens, um mythological legends anything that like people have experienced we like to bring people on and share their experiences with everyone else so that way we can learn from learn from that experience and try to understand what's happening in the supernatural aspect of the world yeah so i was you just had me on there as a guest which was a fun fun episode i I thought yeah i really i really enjoyed that our our discussion yeah, we started with the supernatural stuff and then we, we quickly got sidetracked onto lots of movies and Australia versus America comparisons. Yeah, my, uh, we're all like kind of just 
when you're in the States, you are very uh, distant from the rest of the world and knowing what's going on. So it was nice to like learn more about Australia. Uh, so what have you been, you're obviously a big movie fan. What have you been checking out? So this past week, I watched a, a new film talking about America. It's a, it's a new film that came out, I think, last week or two weeks ago at this point, um, An American Pickle. It's, uh, it, it dropped on HBO Max, but I think it will also be in theaters and other parts of the world. But it stars uh, Seth Rogen playing dual roles, um, both as a great-great-grandfather from 100 years ago and a Current, uh, current aged person from 2019 and uh it's it's really fun it's a really fun movie yeah it's it's a very short movie it's only about an hour 30 long but seth rogan is very very amazing in this dual role because again he's playing his great great grandfather who is a jewish um a jewish immigrant in 1919 who falls in a vat of pickle brine and he gets brined. He gets left in there for a hundred years. It's it's a ridiculous plot, <laughs> but he get he gets left in there, and then miraculously he, in 2019 he he comes he comes back, and his only living relative is also Seth Rogen, uh, who is a a mobile app developer, but like a failed mobile app developer. And the funny thing is, when you see Seth Rogen on the as the main cast, you would think that's a comedy. But it's actually a very sentimental family story uh, at the heart of it, talking about how the generational gap between now and 100 years ago, how the great-great-grandfather is very more family-oriented and very religious, while the present-day character is very, um, he's very a-religious, he doesn't care about family that much, he has a lot more of a me mentality, like looking out for himself, not looking out for others. And uh, it's a really nice film. When you have two people playing a dual role, I I was not taken out of it at all from uh, seeing Seth Rogen in two different roles in, on the screen together. So they did a really good job at mapping the two together. Yeah, it sounds like it. It definitely sounds like a sort of Seth Rogen comedy premise, but for it to be a different style and more heartfelt makes it seem a little bit more interesting than it otherwise would have been, I think. Yeah, again, it's it's not what Seth Rogen's known for. He, you know, he's known for his, like, Pineapple Express or This Is The End, or, like, those type of, like, big comedy movies. This one does have comedy in uh, layered throughout, but it's just not, like, a joke a minute. It's, like, maybe a joke every, like, six, seven minutes. But still, it's still a nice way to, to see Seth Rogen do this completely different uh, style than what he's used to doing. Yeah. Well, if did you say it was on HBO Max over there? Yes. If you if you have HBO Max in the states, I know you can stream it. I don't know how HBO Max works in the rest of the world because it's such yeah. a new streaming yeah, service. I don't think it's available here. I wonder if that movie is going to hit cinemas here now that we have them open, or if it's going to go to like a Netflix or maybe one of the other streaming services that we have available here. Yeah, I think I did hear it was going to get a small like uh, movie release. I just don't know when. I would assume soon, though, if it's already out on streaming services and people are out there talking about this movie. Yeah, I'll definitely have to keep an eye out and see, see if I can find where it is out here because it sounds like something it is worth checking out and a nice sort of weekend movie. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's really fun. Um, one of the things that I just found funny about it is that Seth Rogen wanted to do a real beard for this filming. So he filmed all like the non-beard because the great-grandfather has a beard while current day doesn't have a beard. So he like filmed all the non-beard stuff first, then grew a beard and filmed all the rest of it. So it's really interesting that they were able to still cut this movie together so well because it's not like you can quickly film another section once you uh once you decide to grow out the beard yeah i I would have thought they'd have filmed it the other way around do the beard stuff first and then shave it off and the next day come back and do all the non beard stuff but 
strange that they decided to go that way and obviously have that gap in filming. Lucky to get everyone available again. Well, yeah, it's also, there's not really a supporting cast. This is very much just Seth Rogen talking to himself, which kind of when you think of the world as it is right now, I wouldn't doubt in the future if we almost see more films like this, where it's just like a one character on, this, on, on the screen and in a dual role trying to, you know, still do a movie. Because, it, again, there's, there's no one else basically in frame with them most of the time. Yeah, especially with sort of quarantine and cinema production sort of cutting back. I imagine there'll be a few of those movies being made at the moment. Yeah, I know a lot of movies haven't opened yet. I think I heard like a few film, like a few things. Like I think uh, the Batman with Robert Pattinson just got a degree light to start filming again. But most of those, most things I heard that got the green light are like in smaller island uh, nations that they're filming anyway. So they get there's less cases there, so they can go and film. Yeah, I know. Uh, who was it? There was some actress flew down to Australia and had to do the forced two weeks hotel quarantine just so that they could begin filming down here. Yeah, it kind of just stinks because a lot of filming does get does happen in the States. But right now, the States are not where you want to be filming a movie. It's going to be interesting to see what happens with theatre releases over the next like year and a half, two years. I think there's going to be a big gap in what's available. Yeah, I'm. I'm curious about that too. Like, are we, are we just going to get like instead of a blockbuster summer, just a blockbuster year because all these movies got pushed back? And then, like, if they do just try to like push everything down our throats real quick, then yeah, because they haven't been filming for the past eight months, there's going to be no no new movies coming out if they don't time their release schedules right. Yeah, like next year's looking absolutely stacked, but then what happens sort of. November, December, January at the end. Is there going to be this, this big gap of only sort of indie, smaller titles? Yeah, I mean, the, the theaters would probably still want that, though, because they're hurting for cash right now. So they would probably be okay with any movie coming yeah, their I way. I think the, the theaters will be pushing for that, come back with a whole heap of big stuff so people continually come back for a couple of months. But Yeah. A big cash influx real quick. I have heard from a few people, though, that with cinemas here, like, the crowds have just been way down. It's sort of people are going and pretty much having a theatre to themselves, maybe two or three other people. Yeah, I could see that. I know here they also tried to push uh, people to go back by doing 15 cents, uh, cent American cents, uh, movie tickets for classic films like... Uh, Star Wars, Episode 5, Back to the Future, The Goonies, try to get people to want to go back. So, like, for classic films, they're offering, you know, basically pennies to go see movies to try to just get people to be comfortable with, seeing, with going into a movie theater again. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably more come in, see these old movies that you know you like for pretty much nothing and just sort of get used to being back in the cinema and see what changes we've put into place and then come back and watch one of the bigger movies later. Yeah, because there's, I mean, there's still a lot of movies uh, that, like, haven't changed their release dates. Like, Wonder Woman, uh, what's that, 1984. That one, it's still set to come out in November. And it's like, you got to get people comfortable now if you want to get, you know, a movie that probably, if it came out in the summer like it wanted to, probably will gross a billion dollars. Yeah, they're they're sticking pretty hard on that release date, aren't they? They haven't wanted to slide much since the initial push yeah they they pushed back from i think it was supposed to come out in august they pushed to like uh to this new release date and just kind of just have been waiting it out and does tenant have a release date over there yet i know it's it's due here next week so. yes i believe uh it will also be out here next week um which is a little upsetting because i don't believe in my state i will have theaters open to go see it so i might have to uh, drive pretty far out of my way to go into another state that has open theaters just to go see it because I really want to see that movie. Yeah, how 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 sort of fire is the trip if you had to go to check it out somewhere else? Uh, probably like hour and a half 
almost uh, maybe two hours if I were to leave New Jersey. Okay, so it's doable. It's just not preferable. Yeah, it's like to drive two hours to watch a two-hour movie and then drive two hours back. It's a whole day. Yeah, sort of go in the afternoon, have dinner, watch the movie, drive home, get home late. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's definitely would be an event, but it's a Christopher Nolan film, so it's an event within itself. Yeah, it's almost worth worth the adventure. What have you been watching over on your end? For me, I finally, I know it's been out for a long time. I finally sat down to watch The Boys season one, which is the Amazon Prime exclusive based on the comic of the same name and it's sort of centered around superheroes and a team of vigilantes but it's in this grounded world based in actual reality and it's like hyper violent and it's sort of a more realistic depiction of what superheroes would be like in real life with corporations monetizing and managing everything about the superheroes and the superheroes are kind of narcissistic jerks because they can sort of just do what they want and get away with whatever they want yeah i uh i watched the boys back when it first released because i had all my friends uh jumping on me like oh you gotta watch the boys it's like what superheroes would be like if it was you know if they were to actually exist into the in today's society yep and it's it's very much a lot of narcissism a lot of empty promises which when you have all that power is what you would expect. It absolutely is what, if someone as powerful as Superman existed, they would be. It's just like, I can do what I want when I want, and there's nothing anybody can really say or do about it. And then you have those corporations just seeing that and realizing the, the potential to make billions and billions of dollars off it, so they do whatever they can to get involved. Yeah, the superheroes definitely have, like, a god complex attached to all of them. I loved that they were all, like, parodies of classic Marvel and DC characters as well. Yeah, yeah, you definitely, you had your Supermans in there, your Batman, your Aquaman, Wonder Woman, they were all in there. Yeah, so you have Homelander, who is obviously Superman. Uh, The Deep is Aquaman. Queen Maeve is obviously Wonder Woman. Got a Flash ripoff in A-Train. And then the, the group of characters known as the Seven is obviously like the Avengers slash Justice League type outfit. And it's it's a hyper-violent show. Like, they show some pretty graphic elements in that show. Yeah, within the first, I would say, five minutes, like, my jaw was already on the floor. I was like, I did not expect this show to start off like that. And then you think, like, oh, that's just a hook to get you in. No, it stays there the whole time. Yeah, you definitely think, oh, well, that's okay. I'm, I know what I'm in for here, and you don't expect it to stick around, but it definitely does. And then it's pretty sexual in moments. It's pretty graphic. Yeah, they, they don't they don't shy away from anything. Like any like every topic is open for them to to attack and, and to like basically explicitly show on screen. Yeah, the the moment that sort of stuck out as pretty over the top for me was uh the moment with the deep and the girl that he takes back to his apartment when he gets sent to the the crappy town Uh, sandusky ohio (laughs) wow what a scene yeah that was that was messed up and it was kind of interesting because at that point they're trying to almost redeem the deep because the deep has already done pretty terrible things and it, it, to me, it almost works. I, I, like, I almost feel bad for the guy by the time that scene is over. Oh, it definitely is a turning point for the character, but I still kind of think he's a bit of a bit of a clown to begin with. Like just the way he acted in that first episode, you're like, really, you are the worst person here. Well, yeah. Once he did that, I was like, all right, I don't care about this guy anymore. And then when they tried to redeem him, I was like, I know what you're doing, but I still don't like him. Like you, yep. you, can, you can try. You try to make, and there were like there were other scenes that like it, he kind of after he did that one scene, he kind of just continually got punched down, and it's like I know what you're trying to do, but he's still a jerk, and I still don't want like him around. And I love that they gave like the superhero that everybody always craps on to begin with. They made him the, the sleazy, gross character that nobody was going to like, no matter what. 
I think the level of detail of the show is amazing because with the deep, his whole like one thing that like is always about him is he's like the environmentalist of the group as well. He's like he has he like films commercials about picking up trash on the beach. But then in a later episode, and this was only for a second, they show him at a gas station. And what's he doing? He's putting gas in a Hummer. So it's even like something you think he would be a, like on board of, of like cleaning up the environment is completely like shot down with the fact that it's like, no, he doesn't actually care, like, he doesn't care about his message. And it's just like, that just goes like every superhero there, they don't care about their message. They're just, they're saying these empty promises to get people cheering. Yeah. They're all just spouting like corporate written speeches and none of it is actually real. Yeah, exactly. Season two is due on September 4th, which is sort of what spurred me on to be like, okay, I need to finally sit down and watch this. I've heard plenty of good reviews. Season two is coming out. Let's jump on board. And I saw this week that they've also renewed the show for a third season before season two is even out. That's that's a big move. They're really uh, expecting this to continually kick off, which I think it will. Oh, if season two continues the way season one did, I can't see why it won't continue on the same path of picking up more and more viewers. And they've, uh, they, as part of that third season announcement, they added Jensen Ackles from Supernatural. So they've obviously got pretty big plans for season three as well to be adding someone as recognizable as him. Did you hear uh, how they're releasing season two though? Like, on September 4th, they're dropping three episodes, but then they're going weekly after that. Oh, they've shifted to that release schedule. I'm not a, f- I'm not a fan of that for this show. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit... I can be a fan of that. It, uh, it does help. It helps, I think, keep the, the, store, the show in the conversation instead of something that... Because season one was only eight episodes. You could binge that in a day. Yeah, I, I finished. It took me ages to sit down and watch it, but I finished it in a weekend. Yeah. So it's like, if you want something to stay in conversation, you you got to jump to a weekly release. Because it was the same thing when, like, Stranger Things Season 3 dropped. I, I asked all my friends that are, like, big Stranger Things fans. I was like, can you explain what happened in Season 2? And it was just all silent. Because, no, you watched it in a weekend. Of course you can't explain what happened. You, you watched it in a weekend a year ago. Yeah, you don't, and you don't take it all in properly because you are just um, powering through this. You're not actually enjoying each moment. Yeah, so I think, I mean, everyone, everyone's going to be upset that it's going weekly, but I think in the long run, it'll be, it'll, it's going to be, because then you can just be like, oh my God, did you see last night's episode? Like, I can't believe Homelander did this. Just uh, before you kind of wait for, every, for someone to watch the whole season. And then you go, well, what do you think of the whole season? Yeah, at least now people can actually talk about each episode. It's not, okay, I need to just not say anything until everybody else is finished. I'm excited for season two, and obviously I would have loved to get the whole lot in one one hit, but three episodes to kick it off, I think that'll be enough to sort of satisfy that urge, and then I can just happily tee up an episode a week. No, it'll be nice to be like, it's almost you get excited you're gonna get those three episodes you're gonna get like that adrenaline rush of like yes the boys are back and then you're and you're gonna be like oh i have to wait like six days but then then like when it's like oh i can't wait like the boys is coming back in two days so you're you're gonna get that excitement that i think when you binge something you lose that excitement it it becomes more you just want to get through you're just trying to get through it instead of like being excited that it's going to come soon yeah that's like with this new show I've started watching on Apple TV, the Ted Lasso comedy series, like it did the same thing. It, it kicked off with three episodes, powered through all of those, and I was like, okay, I'm in for this, and I'm happy to get it week by week as every Friday afternoon it's like, oh, sweet, there's a new episode of Ted Lasso out. There's half an hour, just nice little giggle. Yeah, exactly. I, I was the same way like uh, last year when The Mandalorian dropped. You were just like, oh, okay, like new Mandalorian episode every Friday. It's like, great. I can't, I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, I don't think it's a, a bad thing. I think it's more of a just people need to be prepared for it and 
get used to it again. Like we all used to watch TV that way when watching it on TV was the only option that you had. Yeah, like that's that's the normal way to watch shows. It's just like Netflix just like kind of has now conditioned us to be like, oh, a new season is out instead of a new episode. And it's like, no, it's like, remember, uh, everyone always queued on Game of Thrones at the exact same time every Sunday to, to watch the new episode of Game of Thrones. And it's like, we can get back to that lifestyle again if we wanted to. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how many people sort of live tweet the boys each week. Yeah, that's that's another thing. Like, yeah, with binging, live tweeting is dead. And it's like, but that's a lot of just free publicity for your show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's smart for a show to go that way. They can have people every weekend be like, okay, I'm... they get a whole sort of weekend of free press, basically. Have you checked any other things out this week? Yeah, I checked this uh this small little indie film that uh, it was in the indie market in 2019, but finally got a, a VOD release this summer uh, called Yes, God, Yes. And it's a, it's a nice short film. It's literally an hour and 17 minutes. I've listened to podcasts longer than this film. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's real short, but I like, I like short films because you, you got to get to the point. Like, it's very, you got to make sure it's tight and everything is, is there and can be deci- like decisive. So it stars uh, Natalie Dreyer. If that name's familiar, she's the older sister in Stranger Things. It, it stars her playing as a teenage girl uh, in some some Midwest state in America where it's very Catholic. And she plays a Catholic school girl um, starting to understand. Or she's, it's a coming-of-age film centered around female sexuality and discovery uh, within a Catholic community in a, in, in a small town. So it's very... It, it's very humorous because of the fact that it's just like, you know, it, it's it's that coming of age, but it's also like, you know, don't masturbate, like, because Jesus is watching and stuff like that. But, but it's still like very wholesome because Natalie Dreyer plays this like very almost like dumb, like dumb character, like, or like a girl that doesn't know anything. Like there's a running joke throughout the whole movie about tossing salad. And she asks almost everyone she knows, what does that mean? And everyone gives her a different answer. And she's just confused the whole film because of this, this one phrase. And uh, it, it, it's like, a, it's a cute film like that. It's, it's like very delicate. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't do too much of, uh, it doesn't throw too much of like Christianity down your throat, but it doesn't get way too hypersexual where it just sexualizes uh, Natalie Dreyer and the other characters. But, uh, so yeah, she, she's a Catholic, she's in Catholic school and she goes to a weekend, uh, what, like a, a weekend Catholic course or whatever. I don't, I don't know what they do, but, uh, she went to the Catholic camp for the weekend, um, as a way to try to like understand God better. But while she's there, she like learns that everyone has secrets and everyone is just trying to figure out you know, how to, how, how to go about the world. And no one has the answers. Like, even her priest doesn't have the answers. So, yeah, it, it's this very humorous and wholesome film that's, again, nice and short. And actually, it started as um, a short film and that Natalie Dreyer was attached to. And then it got – and then it started doing well in the indie market. And then they're like, all right, let's make a feature film of this. And – I don't know how short the short film was because they went to a feature film and again it's only an hour 17 minutes so to me that's still a short film yeah i think there's been game of thrones episodes that were longer than that exactly like yeah I, i've seen yeah i've seen tv shows longer than this movie which but to me again that makes it nice because you could watch this thing that's very very uplifting very joyous and nice and short like you could you could pair this with another movie if you want to it's not it's not killing your whole day yeah, and it sort of it makes sure that everything that's in the movie is there for a purpose. There's no fluff or filler. Yeah, like every line of dialogue is important. Every scene is important. There's nothing there. there nothing pads this runtime, which, I mean, I've seen a lot of films. That's like, all right, 
we probably could have cut 30 minutes of this if you wanted to. There's, there's nothing happening here. I think some of the Star Wars movies were like that. They could have cut big chunks of that out. Especially the, the most recent trilogy and even like Solo. You, you definitely, there are films that could have gone through the editing process like one or two more times. Yeah, I think this, the, uh, the Star Wars one where they went to that casino planet, that whole section could have just been cut out and I wouldn't have lost anything. Episode 8, I think. Yeah, yeah. That, that one, yeah, that was, that was like so that, boring. That was the one that like, it was at that moment I was like, ah, oh, this new trilogy is dying before my eyes. Yeah, it was like somehow Star Wars, which I mean the prequels already almost killed, but then at least like the animated series Clone Wars at least kept life alive in it, but then that this new trilogy, yeah, it was a, it was like, oh god, maybe we should have left Star Wars with the original trilogy and just not done anything else. Yeah, so episode seven was like, oh, we're we're on the right path here, and then episode eight was like, what have you done? How did we just get so off track? Yeah, and then episode nine, tried to tried to like pretend episode eight never happened, which I think made it even worse. You could have just like. You could have just went along with episode eight and made it even stronger, uh, episode nine. But they were like, no, no, let's just remember episode seven. Yeah, I think them trying to retcon so much out of eight kind of hurt nine because they were too focused on fixing problems rather than just what is the story we're trying to tell here. Exactly. Uh, yeah, very much. And again, that, that made episode nine something you could... You could, there was a lot that could have been cut out, but they were just trying to retcon so much instead of just going with what he'd set up. On the opposite end of you, like rather than indie films, I checked out a pretty big budget one that's on Netflix at the moment, Project Power. It's a Netflix original starring Jamie Foxx, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Dominic Fishback. And it, then it's got cameos from Machine Gun Kelly, Rodrigo Santoro, Courtney Vance, and Casey Neistat. So it's got a pretty stacked lineup of cast members. Yeah, that, that Casey Neistat cameo, that surprised me. I did not I didn't think he was in the movie. Yeah, it came out of nowhere. I was like, oh what the I was like, why do I know that guy? And I couldn't think of who it was for so long and then I was like, oh it all of a sudden clicked like once they got into that nightclub, I was like, oh that's who that is. So yeah, the movie's about a shadow corporation who's secretly testing this new drug in New Orleans, which gives the people that take it superpowers for five minutes, and each person, depending on their DNA, gets given a different power. So some people, like uh, Gordon Levitt's character, become bulletproof. Others are invisible. There's a lady that becomes like, an ice queen she can just freeze everything including herself uh, machine gun kelly becomes like this human torch that just runs around on fire and is impervious to fire and yeah it's just like obviously a big budget movie there's heaps of cgi which is actually done really well and makes for an interesting watch yeah and, i uh, i thoroughly enjoyed this movie yeah i wasn't expecting a lot from it obviously with the the cast i was like ah oh, it should be okay but then the premises i was like oh this is gonna be pretty generic and over the top which it is but it was a fun watch yeah i'd say also it's it's almost comparative to the boys but like this one's very gritty and how superpowers would actually work in the real world the human torch character Every step he like he put the whole building on fire, not meaning to. Like every step was like well, every step there was a fire footprint. Yep. That like that's something that would have like you if you watch the Fantastic Four, yeah, human torch just flies around on fire, like no it's not an issue. And it's like no. It would be an issue if like someone could was just in fire in the in the middle of the building. Yeah, like he's running on this old lady's carpet and is burning her carpet and then everything's just catching on fire. Yeah, that, that was like the one thing when I, when I watched this film, uh, I was taken by surprise about because like there are very there are a lot like there's not just like the Human Torch character, 
you're able to see like what the Hulk would be like, what uh, Mr. Fantastic would be like, what Iceman would be like in, in like a real setting. And like, I was like, oh, this is like very, this is unique. Even like they even did a nod, uh, well, I say it's a nod to like Wolverine uh, towards yeah. the end. And it's like, that's, that's what it would actually be like and how actually dangerous superpowers would be in the real world. Yeah, I love that like all the the powers are based on like genetic evolutions and uh, different animals and stuff. Like it made it seem much more uh, realistic and possible to have those powers within people. Yeah, and like it wasn't bogged down by exposition. It was kind of like you, you learned how how these pills worked and how they were scientifically made. They're like one-liners. They're almost like uh, like you could miss uh, explanation because it was just like as as the story progressed, you just learned little bits and pieces, which was nice. It, you don't need a whole. You don't need a character that's just a an exposition dump. You can just do bits and pieces here, and you can learn the story throughout throughout the whole movie. Yeah, like, and there's some there's some pretty cool powers too. Like, obviously, that Wolverine one is. A cool nod, and like it looks like the most painful of the the powers to get. I think. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. He was in a lot of pain uh, when the, when the claws came out, and it's like, yeah, that's what it'd be like if you're ripping your skin off like that. Yeah, your bones are just expanding through your through your wrists. And uh, I read this morning that it was when it dropped on the fourteenth of August. It was the top top streamed movie on the plat on Netflix. So it obviously, with that cast, managed to capture a lot of people's attention. Yeah, and it, the movie felt nice. Too. Like, it felt like a blockbuster movie, something this year we've been missing. Like, because we, you know, we couldn't see Black Widow yet or any of the DC Marvel movies yet. Or, like, even Fast and Furious 9 Wolf came out. And, like, these big spectacle movies. But this felt like a big spectacle movie. Yeah, absolutely. With especially with the, the sort of CGI elements, like they were all done really well. Yeah, you could tell. I think I saw the the movie was like eighty five million. And you could tell they, yep. they they spent that money on CGI and on the cast, which is exactly what you needed to do. I wonder if this was one of the ones that Netflix was like. You know how Netflix has been starting to put movies out in the cinemas. I wonder if this was one that they had intended to do that, and then because of everything that happened with the coronavirus they've sort of had to shift it back to just a regular netflix release because this feels like one that would have been up up for a cinema release yeah not only that because i feel like like netflix usually does that uh to get into the oscars and but i think this one will have been a movie like it will have got a nomination i think for visual effects like it has some I mean, I haven't seen a lot of 2020 movies, obviously, because of how the world has turned out. But it's one of those movies that in 20, like, it, it will have gained that respect of a visual effect movie. Performance from Dominic Fishback was a bit of a standout. I think that's probably going to be a breakout performance for her moving forward. Yeah, I think she, I feel like she almost carried the movie on her back. Like she was, I think she was out acting like, uh, she was definitely act, out acting, uh, Jordan, Jordan Levitt, but even Jamie Foxx at some points, I think she was, she was, uh, out acting him. Yeah. And her, like her rap sequences are pretty, pretty awesome as well. So I think she's going to go pretty far after this movie. I can't imagine she won't get another big role somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I I'm really going to you know, start to follow her career now because I think she's definitely going to be going places. Whatever, whatever, like, after a role like this, it's almost like whatever she wants. Yeah, I'll be shocked if she doesn't get a leading role somewhere now. Yeah, exactly. She she deserves it. Again, her, I was, I was like, I was like, oh, Jamie Foxx, and uh, I was like, I'm, I'm drawn to these, these big name characters, and she just like, she's like, no, this is my movie. Yeah, those those big names definitely draw people in, but then she just takes over and wins people's hearts. I'm, I'm yeah, we're, we're like another Netflix film, like The Old Guard, uh, Charlize Theron. 
was base was the big name in the movie, and she held the whole movie. And I really didn't even know the other actors, and the other actors didn't like do anything to me that like made me want to know more about them. Uh, yeah, that's that's sort of a similar vibe that I got with the other movie I checked out this week, uh, Snowpiercer, which has Chris Evans as the lead character, and he is very obviously the lead character. He kind of carries the whole movie. There's Tilda Swinton and Octavia Spencer and Ed Harris are also in the movie, but it's really all about Chris Evans' character. Yeah, his uh, his acting range in Snowpiercer is... He does everything, high action, hurtful drama, like very, it, it's all there. He, he's, he's hitting all the points. It's another movie that sort of, I've been, I'd been hearing a lot about it. And then when I saw that they were making the TV show adaptation, like, okay, I finally need to check this out. And when I also realized that it was a Bong Joon-ho from Parasite fame, when it was his English language debut, I was like, right, yep, definitely need to check this out. So I went back and watched the 2013 science fiction movie. Yeah, when I watched this, I didn't even know who Bong Joon-ho was. I watched, I watched the movie in like 2015, uh, a year after it came out. And then it wasn't until like years, years later with Parasite, and I was like, oh, he all, like, I really like Snowpiercer, and like he, he's doing Parasite. And I watched Parasite, I was like, oh, wow. And then I start around a whole Bong Joon-ho fix to watch all of his films. Yeah, he's a really, really good director. Parasite has set a very high bar for his next one, I think, though. Yeah, I even heard, uh, like, when Parasite was released and out, like, it was compared to this film, where Parasite talks about hierarchy, class hierarchy, uh, vertically with uh, the one family living like in the lower levels of a house and uh, the characters have to always go up and down stairs. Um, Snowpiercer talks about class hierarchy vertically or horizontally with uh, everyone in the back of the train being lower class and the front of the train being higher class. Yeah, so the film takes place on board the Snowpiercer train, which is this train that was built following a failed global warming remedy where they put this chemical into the the atmosphere to try and cool the earth but it had too big an effect and they froze the entire planet so now the remaining remnants of human life are aboard this train which goes on this continuous loop around the world which takes 365 days to complete not entirely sure why it had to be exactly a year for a whole lap <laughs> like why couldn't they just like do a circle in one country why do they have to go to every country yeah like that part was a bit weird but apart from that it's it's all about like yeah class structure and people are assigned to a class and a role based on some arbitrary means of whether they were put on the train from the looks of it and then, yeah, that obviously leads to this uprising and revolution from the people at the back trying to get to the front to take over the train and reform the class structure. Yeah, and, like, there's, there's hints that this wasn't the first revolution or, or uh, rebellion. There's been multiple rebellions to try to take over the train. Yeah, it had for me, it had, like, similar themes and made me reflect on The Platform, which is another movie on Netflix. Yeah, The, the Platform The Platform is also a really good film. Yeah, I think this one was probably more enjoyable than The Platform, whether that was because of the language barrier or just because this one had a, a bit more action and stuff happening. It definitely kept my attention a bit better. Yeah, I, I think this is uh, another one of those examples, uh, Snowpiercer, that is, of being just a more tightly put together film. Like the platform, I think, could have also gone through like one or two more rewrites to like get the themes more uh, more concise. Where Snowpiercer, you know, when you have Bong Joon Ho, like anything he does is a masterpiece. Yeah, I loved it because it's it's built around that global destruction event, but it doesn't. It doesn't make that the centerpiece. 
it's more about what's happening now on the train and the uh, the tension that's built up over the the years and decades because of the classism that has been instilled within the, the passengers. Yeah, that, that's one thing I like thoroughly enjoyed. Like he chose to make sure it wasn't like one year after uh, the destruction of the world. Like uh, I think I heard in the film, it, it's been 17 years. Uh, yeah. So it's like he, he made sure like to choose later on into the future. How would like all this tension has now built up to the point of like of a breaking point instead of just doing like year one when like people might still have hope of the world getting better or of, of the, or even just have an idea of the past, uh, what it used to be like. Uh, there are multiple lines about how people have now forgotten what the world used to, used to be like before uh, snow. And even there's, there's one character who's a, who is a trained baby. She was born on the train. And like it's a whole there's a whole new generation coming on that are just from the train. Yeah, like there's a whole generation that just think this is how it is and you're in this spot, that's where you stay, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. Yeah, and especially like a lot of apocalypse films, which this basically is, they they do all they want to do is try to get back to the way things were but it's like it's been 30 years what are the way things were anymore like this is the new way look it's almost like it's something the walking dead i think always does it's like oh we gotta get back to the way things are but like it like the apocalypse has been going on for 20 years like this is the way things are now make a new world instead of just trying to get back to the old world yeah, and I think that's a that's a theme that is sort of really poignant at the moment where people are talking about, oh, let's get back to to normal, but everybody else, there's other people being like, no, this is like, this virus has drastically changed the world. We need to have a new normal now and staying home when you're sick or wearing a mask when you have a bit of a cough, like that has to be the normal now. We can't go back to what we were before where people are like, I've got a bit of a sniffly nose. It's okay. I'll go to work. Yeah, exactly. the the norm The old normal is not good enough, and a lot of people and like it's just now, and at the forefront that a lot of people are like w- the way things were, should not have been how they were. Yeah, and like now that this show, uh, this movie has been developed into a TV show, I'm sort of interested to go and check that out and see how it carries the themes through as well? I've, uh, I've actually seen the TV show, and I could say it's, it's very good. They do change uh, a good uh, amount compared to the movie, but of course when you're talking a TV show, you got to change enough to be able to go on for seasons. Um, so they had to like, just rework. Like one, of the, one of the big changes might have been in the movie, there's 100 cars. In the TV show, it's a thousand cars, so it's just like you need more cars to make it to make the movie to make the TV show longer. And does the TV show sort of follow the same idea of the people at the back trying to revolt and get to the top? Yeah, there's still there's still the people on the tail that wanna not be in the tail anymore that don't want to be treated like lower class citizens. Um, the, the other big change is in the TV show, it's, I think it's been three or four years, so it's very early uh, post-apocalypse compared to the movie, which is, you know, late, late into the apocalypse. So it's like they're still trying to get their, their bearings on what it's like in this new world. Okay. So is the TV show, it sounds like it could have been based on, like, in the movie, they mentioned the the revolt of the seven. Is it sort of similar to that? Um, yes and no. the f- The first season, I would say, kind would would be yes, because the uh, this the TV show does have a revolt of the tales. They do uh, revolt, but there's also a crime drama that's like the revolt is almost uh, the B story, and there's this crime drama about like oh, it's the first time like a murder happens on the train. It's the first time in like two years or something that there was a murder. So they had to take a guy from the tale, your lead character played by David Diggs, 
uh, you might know him from Hamilton or from like Blind Spotting. Uh, he he's a detective from Chicago, and he he like still know like there are a lot of people that still know uh, their old occupation, you, like in the tale still. So he he's trying to solve this murder while also trying to help the revolt, however he can from being in upper class now looking at this murder. So he's like sending encrypted messages to the tail, you know, like how to revolt, where they need to go, what, what cars have what in them to help them map, get a map of the train. Okay, yeah. That definitely sounds like something I'll have to check out over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it's very enjoyable. And you watched one other thing this week? Yeah, I watched a... Uh... I watched an older movie um, from 1990, uh, Total Recall. I feel like a lot of people uh, should know of Total Recall. It's a uh, it's a Paul Verhoeven film, who is, in my opinion, one of the best filmmakers uh, of our generation. He he has also made films like Showgirls, uh, Starship Troopers, RoboCop, very very like high name films. This film stars Arnold Schwarzenegger in like the the height of his career in 1990, uh, playing as the everyday man. Even though he, he's Arnold, like there's no everyday man that looks like Arnold, <laughs> but he's playing the everyday man who uh, is bored about his life. And uh, in this is the in the the film takes place in the future where uh, there's already a colony on Mars, and he's bored about his life on Earth. And he, he wants to go on vacation on Mars, and his wife tells him no. So what does he do? He goes to a place where you can have memory implants, and he, he asks for an implant of a vacation on Mars. But there, instead of getting a vacation on Mars, they sell him, they upsell him to be a secret spy in Mars, uh, the, a memory implant. So he gets this memory implant of being a, a spy in Mars, or he... he they try to implant them, but then they find out that his mind has already been wiped. And, and he actually is a secret uh, a spy from Mars. So, and then like, it all plays out. And it's a very cool film. Of course, when it's Paul Verhoeven, he's definitely he's criticizing something in, in America because he's from, he's, he's from Holland. Uh, he, he was in Nazi, he was born in like Nazi occupied Holland. He's very terrible backstory. Like he saw, um, like bodies laid on the street, just like destroyed houses next to his get blown up. Like he's seen some graphic stuff. So and he he started making films over in Holland, and then they forced him to stop. They were too graphic for for Holland. So then he moves to America, and he's actually surprised about the Ameri- American films. He sees them as like. Um, he could get away with a lot more. He's, he sees American films as like um, as ten times worse than anything he did over in Holland. So a lot of his films have very intense, very over the top uh, violence in them. Whether it be like like anytime someone gets shot, their basically whole arm blows off. There's no there's no easy way to get shot in a Paul Verhoeven film. And uh, but he's also from his time in America, there, there are times he would criticize things about it. And Total Recall, I, I would say, just kind of criticizes the, the government of America and how and corporation, how they can sell you anything. One of the major plot points is in Mars, there's one guy that controls it and he sells air to people. And he has the power to just turn off air to whole sec- sectors, making it unable for them to breathe. And it's like, and there's just all that criticism going on within within this film. Um, I know it was also remade in, or oh, yeah, there was a a remake in 2012 or like a reimagining. Have you checked that one out as well? I have not seen the remake. I've heard nothing good about it, which is why I didn't see it. I've also didn't see the RoboCop remake because I heard nothing good about it. So it is a. Uh, I know eventually I will, but when you have the original, you know, usually you just got to stick with the original. Especially when it was only, what, 22 years later. Like, it's not, 
It's not all that long to go and make a remake of something. Yeah, re- remake a black and white film. Don't remake something that's from the 90s. Like, people will remember the 90s still. People, like, the 90s is nostalgic to a lot of people. You can't remake that. Yeah, at, yeah especially now. Like, if we even see with your favorite movie, The Lion King. Like, you can't go and remake that and people be satisfied. Like, they, are, they still remember what that original was and they still love that original. Just... Avoid it because you're never going to please people. Yeah, re- remake. Yeah, definitely remake the Lion King. Never, but if you are going to do it, it has to be like 50 years later. You can't. You can't do it in less than 30 years. Yeah, you can't have a whole generation of 30 year olds that still love that movie and expect them to go and enjoy what that remake was. Exactly. Yeah. I. I mean, I'm fully against remakes. I don't think there's ever a point to them. Uh, it's just a cash grab. There, and I mean, obviously, if Disney is pushing, Disney is one of the biggest cash grab companies out there. So if they're pushing out remakes, you know exactly the reason why. It's just they want more money. Like, like they have even have Mulan coming up shortly. Like, I can see, I can sort of see the benefit of doing stuff like that, where it's taking an old cartoon and then doing like a live action remake but to do something like the lion king which was an animation and then just doing basically modern day animation it was just like what are you doing like yeah you didn't do anything special yeah and with mulan they did say like like mulan's a, uh, a horse of a different color it's very uh there's not much singing they said within it it's gonna be more of like a a war drama and i think they they didn't even get the g rating i think they had to go to pg or something which was like a shocker that they had to like go up from their normal rating and it's gonna be more like that and even i'd say their jungle book remake was almost as good or even maybe a little bit better than the remake one because they actually put an ending where if you watch the anime jungle book it the movie doesn't really end and it's also kind of short they were in the remake they added like 20 more minutes or something and gave gave a heart-filled ending within the film. But when then but then you watch Beauty and the Beast or The Lion King or and these other live action remakes and there's just nothing to it. it. You could just see that it's an empty shell and you feel it too when you sit there. Yeah, if it's just a beat for beat remake, it's kind of pointless, but if you're going to if you're going to put in that effort and the money, you might as well reimagine it and improve on what was already there or at least attempt to yeah if you're gonna just you're just gonna do the exact same thing just with a new filter on it then just don't it's that it's that easy it's it's easy enough to show someone especially now with like disney plus where the whole disney vault is up there it's easier to show the old version of like beauty and the beast or the lion king than to show the new one the new one i mean is it a technical marvel yes well, it just feels like I'm watching National Geographic while listening to the Lion King thing, uh, playlist. It's not like I'm watching a movie. Yeah, absolutely. Like You can't fault the, the technical prowess of that movie, but apart from that, it's really, it kind of lacks the soul of the original, I think. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, yeah, the whole movie, the whole sequel just lacks. I did not enjoy sitting in the movies and watching that at all. What do you think of the uh, the Mulan release strategy? I don't like it. I I think it's not what I don't know because like you have to own Disney Plus. You have to pay a monthly subscription to Disney Plus to then to then pay the other thirty bucks to watch Mulan. But uh, if you don't, and it's like, oh, but you own the movie. It's not like it's on the streaming service. Yeah, but you still need the streaming service. So if I ever wanted to not have Disney Plus, then I don't have Mulan anymore. Where I, if I were to buy it on a different, like if I were to buy it on Vudu, even though I don't, like Vudu is a free streaming service, but you rent or buy movies on there. If I were to just buy it on there, I would always have, as long as I have my Vudu account, I always have the movies. And it's not like, a Vudu account costs me any anything per month to own. So it's like they're just taking your money more than once. I think what they should have done, but they're Disney and they're greedy and there's no way they would have, they should have said, 
they should have released it on like Amazon, Vudu, all the YouTube, all these other streaming services for like the normal 20 bucks that you we've been seeing from like Trolls World Tour or King of Staten Island. But then say, or you could watch it for free on Disney Plus. I think that will have driven the more money from people then getting Disney Plus subscriptions um, than being like, oh, you need Disney Plus and buy the movie. Yeah, or if they wanted to get that 10 or $15 bump on top of Disney Plus, I think they should have done it maybe a month early. Like if you have a Disney Plus account, you pay the 10 or 15 whatever figure they wanted to set. You get it a month early, but then a month later, it's going to be on everything for 30 bucks. Yeah, or like just something. Because what happens, like you're not going to tell me Mulan is always going to be 30 bucks. So if I never pay that 30 bucks, you're going to tell me I'm never going to be able to watch this Mulan release. Or in a year, is it going to be down to like five bucks? And in a year and a half, will it be free? So then those people that pay 30 bucks, well, you, you just, so you're basically just taking the money from people that review movies. You're, ta- you're, ta- you're taking the money from them and from the people that are like huge film fans. But the everyday person will be like, oh, okay, I'll watch Mulan when it becomes free. And I don't, I, I feel like in the future it will be free. So what was that $30 price tag mean uh, in, in eight months? Like, does that even exist anymore? Or can I watch Mulan for free then? Yeah, I can't imagine they'll keep that $30 forever. Like, surely at some point it just becomes part of the Disney Plus catalog. Yeah, and if, if that's going to happen, then... I don't see the point of like doing this this quick cash grab. Yeah, absolutely would have made more sense to just include in Disney Plus and make Disney Plus more appealing. Yeah, exactly. Especially like people are like concerned they're and they're saying, Oh, this is just a one off. Well if it's successful, if they make even close to what the budget of the film is, um you gotta know then Black Widow's coming out on Disney Plus. They're gonna start. Mm-hmm. They're gonna start pulling all their titles. Like, so maybe, and then that's gonna. Like, we already know, uh, m- the movie theater industry is it, it's dying really quickly. The movie theater industry, and then it's just, uh, it's Disney's just trying to kill it quicker. And if this does work, and next thing you know, they're like, oh, this was a one-off, but we saw how successful this is. So now, here's uh, Black Widow for thirty bucks. And it's like, oh, that's successful. Like, well, maybe we'll put, I don't know, Shang-Chi for 30 bucks too. And maybe only we show Avengers films in theaters, but all your, all the films leading up to the Avengers films are 30 bucks on Disney Plus. And it's like, I'm, I'm like, I'm boycotting it. The Mulan only because I want it to not be successful. So they don't try to do this again. Yeah, that's absolutely my concern too. If if it is a, a huge success, do we see all those B tier Marvel movies just become the Disney Plus exclusive with the little add on purchase price, and then we only get the the mainline movies in cinemas? Yeah, and then if that does happen, then I would say the Disney Plus movies are going <clears> to <throat> get a lower budget. And they get a lower budget, you're not going to get the cast you want, or you're not going to get the director you want. Like, take something like Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one. That was such a shoot, like, shot in the dark for Disney. But if that film went on a streaming service, and you, and like, if, and then James Gunn or Chris Pratt doesn't see that movie as that appealing anymore because it's just a streaming service movie, then that's a completely different movie. Or even if it's the same movie with Pratt and Gunn and everyone on board but it's just on a streaming service, it doesn't get, it doesn't see the eyeballs that it saw and it doesn't become um, with like myself and a lot of people say like their number one favorite Marvel movie that has ever dropped. Like the first Guardians Galaxy, I think is the best movie they have ever, they've ever made in Marvel. And if it doesn't get a theater release, you don't see that. And would it get a theater release? Because it's not like, it's, it's almost like the internals. Does the internals get a theater release? It's like, who, who knows anything about Eternals, just like how no one knew anything about the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, like it's ab- it absolutely wouldn't have got anywhere near the levels of hype if it was just a streaming movie. Yeah, like no one, has a, no one had a Star-Lord poster 
like in their bedroom before Guardians of the Galaxy got released. There, you can't tell me that the the, the Guardians of the Galaxy fan base wasn't that big before the movie dropped. And it's just the yeah. same way with Eternals. I can't even name an Eternal character. I, I can name some of the cast because they put a big cast on that. But there, there's not that much hype for it. But if it's a really good movie and it, it has that ability to be in the movie theaters, then I will go see it a lot quicker than I will if, it's, if it has a 30 buck price tag on a streaming service. Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> the phrase I am Groot was nothing until that movie. Yeah, I don't even think Groot was a big character. And like, because the, the, the cast that I know, the cast that Gunn used, the uh, Star Lord, uh, Gamora, Groot, Rocket, that's not even like the original uh, Guardians of the Galaxy cast. You, you learn in Guardians, like, it's, it wasn't when the comic was released, it wasn't the, the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Where uh, you see in the in Guardians of the Galaxy two, it was like Sylvester Stallone's character, Miley Cyrus plays a robot. Like that was the original Guardians of the Galaxy. It's like this uh, different, completely ragtag, and then Star Lord becomes and Star Lord's group becomes the new Guardians of the Galaxy. So he took a he didn't even take the original cast. That's like starting Iron Man with War Machine. Yeah, true. It just wouldn't have worked anywhere near as well. So uh, what is your top recommendation for this week? My top recommendation, if you can find it, because again, it is on HBO Max, and I don't know how else it's being distributed, but if you can find an American Pickle, uh, I would fully recommend you catch that. Um, But if you can't, I would say go with Total Recall. You can never go wrong with a classic. What about yourself? Uh, For me, I have to say watch the boys get prepared for season two because uh, i think season two is going to just step it up again now that they have the hype yeah i, I am definitely hyped for boys season two i can't wait um yeah so that's about all for this week uh thank you for listening to the commentary booth if you enjoyed the show please remember to rate review and subscribe on itunes uh, you can follow me on social media at Media, and you can follow Nick over on The Beer Latte Show. Where can people find that one? Uh, you can find that anywhere you find your podcast. Stitcher, uh, Spotify, App- Apple Podcasts. You just, look, you just search The Beer Latte Show. You can even go- if you Google The Beer Latte Show, uh, we're the first ones to come up. You guys on social media as well? Uh, yeah, you can find us on Twitter at The Beer Latte Show, Instagram, I think, at just Beer Latte. Uh, Anywhere you just type in beer latte and social media and you'll find us. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time and have fun when cinemas finally reopen. Yeah, thank you. This was great. I'll, I'll love to uh, come back and do this again. The Commentary Booth is a fan-funded production of Jamie Apps Media. You can support the podcast alongside our magazine, Jamzine, over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Jamie Apps Media. The following people supported at the Jam publisher level or higher and you cannot fathom how incredibly appreciative we are for their support. Brian and June Hart, Courtney Paulson, Tracy Apps. Mm-hmm.